This morning we continue looking at the, some of the Psalms, uh, which is always a good practice uh, during summer times as we have the opportunity. This morning, Psalm 126. While you're turning there, I want to mention to you, um, this is the last Sunday with us for uh, a while for Scott and Lindsay Nimmin. Uh, they will win the award for the longest drive home as they are returning to Burundi in Africa. Uh, good luck beating that. Uh, but they are here with us this morning, and so we would encourage you, um, so you have no regrets, um, to give them their hug. that will last them a few years until we are able to see them again uh, face to face. As uh, you're still turning on Psalm 126, this psalm comes from a, a part of the scriptures that is known as the Psalms or the Songs of Ascent. They are a collection of psalms. They, they run from Psalm 120 through 134, there's 15 in all, uh, that were written at different times in history carrying a variety of themes, but were collected and put together all here in the book of Psalms so that those who were uh, the people of God uh, during the three times a year, they would be traveling to Jerusalem for one of the major festivals, whether that was for Passover or Pentecost or uh, the Feast of the Tabernacles. The, the people, as they would travel, caravan, and all throughout their journey, they would sing these Psalms of not only giving praise to God, but being reminded of God's faithfulness to them. As we look at these psalms and their practicality for us today, not only is in the message specific to each of the psalms, but an overarching part of this scripture is that they, they serve to remind us that we are also on a journey, and that even while we are journeying, journeying through this world, we're on a journey to the new Jerusalem for a celebration that those others can only uh, barely uh, shadow. And not only are they a reminder of us to us that we are on a journey to the new Jerusalem, but they are, every one of them, a reminders to us that in that journey, for that journey, God has provided everything that we need in the person of Jesus Christ. Our prayer this morning is that we would see that, along with the specific truth that God would have for us in our text. Psalm 126. Hear the word of the Lord. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams of the Negev. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. The word of our God. Let's go to him in prayer. Our Father, we do come with thanksgiving that you have spoken to us uh, so clearly so thoroughly, so extensively, and that you, in your kindness and your provision, sought to record this, uh, and that we would be able to hear you speak over and over again. We do pray that we would hear you even now, as we consider these words from this very short song. But even though it is short, may it be powerful to us. For in the simplicity of what you reveal, we find hope, encouragement, and grace. May we also find Christ. It's in his name we pray. 
for his glory. Amen. Seems everyone, or at least pretty much everyone, loves the stories of reversals of fortune. Those seem to be the stories in the movies that people enjoy the most. The stories where the uh, one who was a, um, the underdog just ultimately becomes the victor. The one where the ugly duckling becomes the magnificent swan. The one where the lovable loser inevitably becomes the hero. And in a sense, what we have in Psalm 126 is a story of the reversals of fortune. It's not a story in itself. It's a song, and it's a song that points us to a story of reversal of fortune. We see at the beginning, it points us to remembering uh, how for fortunes had been reversed for the people of God. And then at the end of it, we are pointed to a prayer that uh, encourages us to hope for and pray for fortunes of, to be reversed in the lives of God's people. Now, most scholars would place this song to be written in what's known as the post-exilic period. In other words, the period after Israel had been scattered and taken into captivity, particularly into Babylon, and then were given permission and by God's providence were able to come back and to begin rebuilding Jerusalem through Ezra and Nehemiah, Haggai, and other of the prophets that we, we read about towards the end of your Old Testament. But even though most scholars would put it that way at, at that point in time, and it makes the most sense uh, given the, the context and the substance of what the psalmist is saying here, we don't really know exactly when it was written. It was left intentionally ambiguous so that all of us of any age, of every generation, and on any circumstance would be able to identify with it. And the reason that's important for us this morning is because every one of us at one time or another has probably gone through a time when God seems to be quite distant, when our lives seem to be dry spiritually, when we are hungry or maybe we're not even hungry, we just know that we ought to be hungry. And God, who has at times in our lives seemed to be so close, God, who has been at work in our lives and we are able to even cite some examples of our experiences with God and how he seems to have come through at times when things were not going the way that we would like. Now, it's just difficult for us to believe that God who yesterday did, you know, fill in the blank, is inclined or maybe even able to do something like that again in our lives. You may be there now. Maybe you're one of the fortunate ones who has not experienced that. I assume that makes you about 10 years old, but that's uh, not necessarily. You may have just been blessed. And I hate to be the one that tells you this. If you live long enough, you will experience it. Each of us experiences it in a different way. In my own case, it seems to just come in and just what I recognize as be total foolishness. Not only when I look in the rearview mirror, but even in the midst of it, I recognize the foolishness. I can give example after example of seeing how God has been at work and even given me kind of benchmarks and, and, and incidents to specifically remember how God has come through at a time where I most was in need in ways that I would not have expected. 
and yet I find myself in circumstances that are, are either challenging or overwhelming or discouraging or disappointing. And I feel like I, I identify thoroughly with the Israelites when they were in the wilderness. You may remember, those of you who are Bible students, that as Israel, seeing the power of God displayed to set them free from their bondage through a series of plagues, and then Moses leading them out of the wilderness, and they come up against the, the Red Sea, and again, they now are fearing. Having already seen the power of God, having already heard God declare to set them free, they wondered now, would they be wiped out by the Egyptian armies? Then God opens up the Red Sea as if that's something that you would see every day. And they walk through it, and God closes it back on them. And they get to the other side, and they get to the promised land. And then every time they see something difficult in their lives, they cry out, and they whine the same way that I do. God, did you bring us this far just to kill us here? That's a recurring theme in my heart, in my mind, and in my spiritual journey. And some of you resonate with that. Some of you have experienced it the same way. Others of you experience it in other ways. It's just, it's a common reality that even though we have seen God at work, sometimes God seems to be very far away and not answering our prayers and not doing what we feel that he needs to do. And in Psalm 126, we see God inviting us to, as the, as the hymn writer says, consider anew what the Almighty can do. And we see that in the verses 1 through 3, we are invited to look back to see the way God has worked in the past. And in verses 4 through 6, we are invited to look forward and ask for God to work in our future. Now, as we look at this, the primary theme that I think that runs through this particular psalm is this, is that recalling God's past graces strengthens, strengthens our faith for the present. As you notice, the psalmist begins by recalling a time in the past when God had restored the fortunes of Israel. Verse 1, when the Lord restored the fortune of Zion, the people of God, we were like those who dream. He's, he's talking about a, a time restored. The, th the, the word restored here uh, is an important one. The term itself, if literally, uh, if taken in the Hebrew, means to turn a turning. In other words, it's a picture that he's saying is that apparently at one time everything had been going well, and then the bottom seemed to drop out. Everything took a downturn. And then that which had turned, God turned that turning and then restored their fortunes, made things good, made things right, made things tremendous for them again. Old Testament scholar named John Goldengay says this about this particular passage. It suggests that while the situation had once been one of blessing and fulfillment that went wrong, eventually Yahweh took it back and made it what it once had been. And so as we look at the psalm, the main point that we should take from it is, is that it's a reminder to us that all through history, God has been turning things around. He has been renewing. He has been making like new. And history is filled with such stories. The scripture is filled with such stories. And those who have walked with God also have such stories. And this passage is inviting us to be thinking about those things that we have read through the scriptures 
or heard about through church history or experienced in our lives where we have seen God showing up, delivering, changing, restoring, and blessing. And the reality is even if right now you can't think of any specific incidents within your own life, it is important that we recognize the very fact of the gospel story reminds us that if you have trusted in Christ, God has at least made a turnaround in your life in that. Because we were once created perfect and holy, and our first parents messed it up, so none of us have experienced that reality. But we are created after the image of God. We are created as the apex of all of his creation, the object uh, that he said, this is really good. Even if we have been vandalized by our own sin and by the world that we live in. But because that was the reality, we who were created for fellowship with God and for eternity, the negative side of the story is we were all, everyone who has ever been born is headed for death. But in Jesus Christ, God turned the turning. And simply because of Jesus and what he has given, you who are headed for death are now headed for life. The scriptures tell us that we were created for fellowship with God, and, and yet... Because of our rebellion, both of our first parents and then our own rebellion, we are as orphans. Or in some illustrations, even worse, as Jesus declares to those who were apart from him, that your father is the devil. But by God's grace enabling us to believe, simply by believing and trusting what Jesus Christ has done, we who are orphans are now adopted and born again born by God's spirit and made children of the living God. He turned that turning in order for us to be a blessing. We who die deserve hell. And God turned that turning and said, because you belong to me, you are my child, you are in Christ, you now are destined for heaven. Even if we are not conscious of that, that is the gospel story of what Christ has accomplished for us. And by God's grace, giving us faith, our story has turned and our destiny, our future, is all heading in an entirely different direction. Yesterday apparently was the day when the NFL Hall of Fame or the Pro Football Hall of Fame inducts their next class. I didn't watch any of it. I haven't watched any of it in years. I watched a lot when I was a kid. But I do know this, at least it's not uncommon for those who are inducted, for at least one, if not more, of those, they, they share their own life's journeys. And at some point, on a number of occasions, some of the inductees talk about their life and where their life was headed until some coach, until football, or could be true for any other sport as well, had come into their life and changed the direction of their life and the combination of that change of direction, which they said was headed for death or for jail, is now in being esteemed and recognized in a Hall of Fame. It's a tremendous change of direction. It's a turn around of a turning. And that is a wonderful thing. And for a good portion of my childhood and even into foolishly into my early 20s, I, you know, I would have been hopeful to be into that category with them. Just turns out I wasn't very good, so that was a little problem there. <laughs> but 
But as glorious of a story as that is, do you recognize how absolutely ridiculous that is as compared to the destiny that you who are in Christ have? You're not in a hall of fame. You are in the presence of the living God. You are destined for heaven, not a hall of fame. An eternity with him. I don't want to minimize the reality of the angst that you may experience at different times in your life or maybe going through right now. The psalm calls us to be thinking of the ways that God has come, and that is the ultimate way. But there are also stories in which God has come, and he has restored and redirected our fortunes in Jesus Christ. And what the psalmist is doing here is he's modeling for us, thinking back at the way that God has been at work in your life, whether in the ultimate sense of your redemption and reconciliation with God, or in the day-to-day situations that the circumstances have been changed, that God has come and has provided. When we think back on those things, it gives us strength for the faith that we need to take the steps that God is calling us to or that we need to take today. See, we need to recognize that faith itself is like a muscle. It's not like a light switch. I don't remember where I heard that illustration, so it's mine now. But it's an important one that we get and that we understand it. See, many times we tend to think of faith as something that, you know, as long as we have it, we can turn it on when we need it. But the reality is we see through both the successes and failures in scriptures and the successes and failures of our own lives is that if we are, faith is really of a nature that if we are not using it like a muscle, it begins to atrophy. And so that when you really need it, it is not strong enough. It's not something you can flick on and flick off on the, to the levels that you need it. Certainly it's not like on a dimmer. It is something that needs to be exercised on a regular basis. And God is at work in our lives, and the psalmist is reflecting that as he's thinking back at a time in Israel's history where God has been at work, and by thinking on those things, it reminds him that God is at work, and and therefore he can trust God for today. And that is something that this psalm is calling all of us to do, to think back in history how God has worked, to think back in your history how God has worked, so that you have the strength of faith to face whatever it is that you are facing today. And and then the psalmist, in recollecting that, he gives the response that we have experienced at different times in our lives when we recognize and when we remember that God has been at work. Uh, Look at what he says here, verse 1. When the Lord restored the fortunes of his people, we were like those who dream. In other words, when I think about that, when when I saw that God was at work, when I recognized that God had come through, it was like, somebody pinch me. It just, it, it seems too good to be true. It, it just, it almost seems unreal. And sometimes we might pray, Lord, are you really doing this? Are you really at work now? And then he says they get kind of giddy because he continues on in verse 2. That our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. And we recognize that at times when we see God is coming through, it affects not only our circumstances, but our emotions as well. It's a time of celebration. And the picture here he's giving is of people who recognize that God is at work, and so they can't help but to celebrate. and to party, and to scream, and to shout, and to do so loudly in song. 
This would be an argument that some would say that these are not Presbyterians. But it's also a reason that Presbyterians may be, need to be conformed to the scriptures. And some things shouldn't be done decently and in order. We ought to be like David. There we go, see? Is anybody else creeped out by the no? Anyway, that's uh, amen. So that's, uh, You, you know, David, who danced before the Lord, in his case, physically naked, but also symbolic of the reality, is just as he was. And he just celebrated, and he didn't care who was embarrassed. Because his only focus was on God, who had delivered and provided for him. And the celebration of God's people when they recognize the great work of God in their midst. And we don't know the circumstances, it's, it's intentionally very vague was so loud that even the neighboring pagan nations heard them and heard about what God had done. That's what he's saying. We see that in, in verse 2. They said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. And the psalmist agrees. He says the Lord has done great things for us. As we see as the psalmist begins, it's important that we would remember when God has done things to turn our circumstances around. It is a cause for a celebration. But when we see and remember that God has been at work, it strengthens us. And that's important because we see something interesting here in this passage too. We're reminded that we are always in need of being renewed by God's grace and remembering, getting, receiving God's grace by remembering that God has been in, at work and therefore will be at work again. Why do I say that? Well, if you look at verse 4, there's something interesting that's going on here. Verses 1 through 3 is a celebration. God has restored Israel's us. You know, we, we rejoiced and we were celebrating. They were celebrating so loud at the fact that God has restored. So clearly he's remembering that. In verse 4 then, what's he do, begin doing? He begins to pray. And here's his prayer. Restore our fortunes. I just find it interesting that the person in the midst of his celebration of the fact that God is at work and God has been at work and God promises to continue to be at work and God has turned the story around in a way that is worthy of celebration that in the midst of that celebration, he also saying, God, I need my circumstances turned around now. Restore our fortunes, restore the circumstances, be at work within me. It's an indication of the reality that all of us experience, although some of us are not aware that others experience it, that no matter what God is doing, our tank seems to have a hole in it. And we are constantly in need of being refreshed and renewed in God's grace. And part of the way that we are renewed in that, the psalmist is demonstrating for us, is remembering what God has done for us in the past but also praying to God to be at work even in the present. Theologian Sinclair Ferguson says this, the blessings of the past need the constant refreshing of the outpouring of God's spirit if they are to remain as a glorious living reality. 
See, the past is important, and we are renewed by remembering it, but we are at need of God to be at work in us consistently. Ferguson goes on and says this, those who give thanks for divine provision of the past need to pray for divine restoration in the present. And so if right now you are drained or dry and God feels distant, it's not because there is anything particularly wrong with you, at least not as compared to other people. But you're experiencing what we all experience. And you need to understand that. But you also need to understand that God has told us that here, are, in, through the psalmist, here are two things that we need to do. One is remember that God has been at work, no matter how far in the past it seems, which may be adding to your frustration. And we need to be praying for God to be at work in us even now. And the psalmist is at work, reminding himself and praying two things that we need to be doing in our lives on a regular basis because we are in need of that renewal that God promises. But then we see this, is that remembering God's faithfulness in the past also shapes our expectations and it gives us courage to endure not only the present but our future. Let me say that again. Remembering God's faithfulness from the past shapes our expectations and gives us courage for our future. Verses 4 through 6, again, the psalmist is praying. And the reason he's praying here is because he's in need of God's renewal. And the reason that he's reminding himself that God has been at work in the past is because when he thinks of history, when he thinks of both what's gone on outside of him and his own experience, he is fortified to be able to take the steps that he needs to, for today and, and for tomorrow. And we understand that also in our lives. I've shared before about my lack of affection for the Bay Bridge Tunnel. For those of you who haven't heard it, I hate it. Whenever I have been on it, I am white knuckling from the time I leave land in Virginia Beach until I hit land over on the eastern shore. I can't help but to remind myself over and over and over, some voice in my head says, you're not supposed to drive on the ocean. <laughs> Earlier this summer, I had to go over the bridge again. And it wasn't nearly as bad. It wasn't nearly as bad as because I was able to remind myself, not only had the bridge never collapsed in its history, I had been over it, as had thousands of people every week, and the bridge itself had never failed. And because of the history of the bridge and because of the history of my experience with the bridge, I was able to go in, I won't say calmly, and I've yet to enjoy the scenery, which I'm sure is beautiful, but I don't need a new steering wheel anymore after this trip. And even the news last week of a truck that went over 
which I understand is the third one in three years, hasn't changed my attitude about the bridge or, or put me back to where I would be or put me back to where I believe sanity would have me be. Because I'm reminded that that was the driver's error, not the bridge's flaw. See, my history, the bridge's history, my experience all play a role in telling me that I can trust, I can take a step forward, I can do what I need to do. The past gives me courage for the present and for the future. It seems to be what the psalmist is doing here as well. Because he recognizes God is faithful and because our tanks leak our trust and that we are in need of God's continual renewal, he is now praying that God would restore the fortune, provide for him, give him whatever it is that he needs. We don't know, again, what it is specifically he's praying for. We don't know the circumstances, whether he's praying for, uh, for something physical or whether it's praying for his spiritual life or whether it's a job situation or, or the economy or the climate. We have no idea uh, why the psalmist at this point is, is writing. We only see what he's doing. And again, God leaves that intentionally vague so that you can fill in the blank and take these principles and apply them to whatever your circumstances may be. What I find fascinating here is that the psalmist shows us that he understands that when we go to the Lord and pray, God answers our prayers and it comes in one of two ways. Sometimes God answers suddenly, seemingly, or maybe even miraculously. And sometimes God answers over time in what seems to be a process. We see that which is sudden, which is seeming to be the guy's prayer. It certainly is the prayer that most of us have when we ask God for something, when we need our circumstances to be turned around. We see it evidence in the, the imagery that he uses in, uh, in verse 4. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like the streams of the Negev. Now, the Negev was an area south of Israel that was very dry and very parched. That very, very rarely is to receive rain. Now, once in a while, you'll have heavy rains in the mountaintops, and then it will come down through the mountaintops in a stream and create very strong and wide streams throughout this arid land. If you're one who lives in the valley, you're not necessarily seeing the rains, and so all of a sudden when you see this gush of water, it seems very sudden. Although God may have been at work in providing that sometime in the past, we don't know God's ways. What we know is our own experience. But what he's praying here is, first and foremost, Lord, restore our fortunes and do it in a fly, like a flash flood. That's my prayer. That's most of our prayers. I can't remember a time when I've let out like the psalmist goes to next and said, Lord, Help me, but, you know, take your time. No hurry with this. I want what I want, and I want it now. And I'm encouraged that the psalmist shares my attitude. Lord, restore our fortunes. Like the streams in the Negev, which may be rare, and when they come, they come flash, and they come through, and just God is providing. But he also says this, he recognizes that while God does work in miraculous and sometimes seems to be answering our prayers at the moment that we stop and say amen, normally God is at work through providence, through process, over time. 
His prayer is for God to be at work. He would like to see God now, but he also seems to be recognized that we see in the imagery that he gives us. It's an agrarian imagery, an imagery of a farmer, which I have to confess, having grown up and lived most of my life in suburban areas, these are not the illustrations that come naturally to me. But there's a reason that I think that this is particularly powerful. Not only for those that day where most people were uh, involved in agriculture and would understand these things, um, but even today, and I'll touch on that in a moment, but here's what he says. Not only restore like the streams of the Negev, God, do something and do it now. He starts talking about this. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. He not only is saying, Lord, do something and come now, but Lord, be at work and understanding that God also answers prayer, usually answers prayer over a period of time. And the image of the farmer is a great example because him in that field is somebody who by his day-to-day life is reminded that we need to be both prayers and plotters at the same time. Totally dependent on God to provide, and in this case, rains wherever the fields that he has, but at the same time knowing that in order to receive what God is doing, sometimes we live our lives and remain faithful. And sometimes living our lives in this world is painful. And our labors are hard. And sometimes the labors are so hard or life is so painful that we actually experience tears. It makes us want to weep or it forces us to weep. But in no way is he suggesting that this is out of the norm for God and it would be unacceptable to him. He's praying to God who has a history of restoring fortunes. Part of the history of God restoring fortunes is that it has come in two ways. Sometimes immediately, most of the time over a time, over a process. Why does God do it over a process? There's one sense I don't know. There's another sense in which he is bearing fruit in our lives and shaping us and guiding us and directing us in ways that the process is necessary. As one of my seminary professors used to say about the difficult mission field is, Uh, that he would sometimes serve. He was giving thanks to God for making him a better Christian than he really wanted to be. God who loves you and God who loves me more than I understand is at work doing more for me that only as I look back do I recognize what it is that he's doing and that only comes through time. Over time, we understand that we are constantly dependent upon God, that God is not our genie at our beck and call to do what we demand just because we take a verse out of context and claim it as our own and say, that's a contract, God, you owe us. God owes us nothing but condemnation. He loves us and gives us grace. And in that grace, he shapes us to be more like him and in fellowship with him, to appreciate him, and to see him at work, and that normally happens over time. But either way, we see through here that God is at work, and this psalmist expects God to answer his prayer, because we see the evidence of that in the promise of the process time. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping and bearing seed for sowing shall come home with shouts of joy and bringing his sheaves with him. No maybe. 
God who has been at work in the past is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is at work today. He is at work in your life. He's at work for the benefit. He's at work bringing all things for the good of those whom he loves and who love him and are called according to his purpose. This is the promise of God. And so the psalmist understands that, and he's praying to God, and he's continuing to live his life. You and I are called to be prayers and plotters in every aspect of our life. But when we pray to the Lord, we have reason for expectation because the promise is also rooted in the person of Christ who has accomplished everything necessary and eliminated everything that would be the barrier to our receiving the answer to our prayer. And that Jesus Christ is also seen by reference here in this text. In verses 5 and 6. See, his life came and was like a flash of 30-some years in which he restored the fortunes of a people who are alienated from God. He is the answer to a prayer. And yet, in those 30-some years, he labored with tears, both for those that he was serving and the pains of this life and accusations that were reaped upon him. And yet knowing all along that his labors would deliver and he would not only be with God and rejoice, but he would bring with him the sheaves of his people. People of God, you have reason to hope, even if this is a dry time in your life, because God has been at work in the past. God has turned your stories around. You know it, you know stories, but ultimately, if you're trusting in Christ, that's God's promise. And he's promised that he who began a good work will see it through to the end. How do we respond to this? Just quickly, a couple of things. One is remember the stories how God has been at work in your life. Don't forget what God has done in the past, even if it seems long ago. Don't forget how things sometimes seem so hopeless or how much you were in need and how God heard your prayer. Don't forget the stories that you've heard of God being faithful to others. Second, tell those stories to yourself, to one another, even if it feels like you've done it a million times, those stories bear fruit, encouraging the believer. And as we see here, sometimes they bear fruit even among those who are unbelievers when they see and are reminded of how God works in this world. And cry out to God today. And at any time that you're feeling dry, cry out for renewal in whatever areas of life that you feel that you need God at work. Maybe it is for your job circumstances. It's, it, maybe it is a, a health issue in your life. It may be a spiritual issue. You need to have the joy of your salvation restored or your heart, which just seems hard. You just need that to be, to be softened and be shaped for the Lord. Maybe you recognize that I need compassion for the people that are around me, particularly the people who are lost and nobody else likes. Maybe it is you need courage for mission that you believe God is calling you to, whether it's overseas or in your neighborhood. But reminding yourself of the stories and crying out to God, we remind ourselves that our God is a restorer. Father, we give thanks to you for this word, and we thank you for all that it points to, reminds us of, and promises. 
and pray that by the work of your spirit, you would expose within us where we are dry, where we are in need of renewal. You would prompt us to cry out. You would give us the grace to believe. For in that grace, we have hope, we have courage, we have joy. May we, your people, celebrate your faithfulness in the past and expect it in the future, not because of us, but because of you, our Lord. We pray in Christ. Amen.